I'm Mitch Owens, and welcome to the AD Aesthete. Twelve romantic British country houses are the subject of historian Clive Aslett and photographer Dylan Thomas's new book, but not just any country houses. Old Homes, New Life, to be published in July by Aslett and Thomas's new publishing house, Triglyph Books, explores a dozen great estates, from Grimsthorpe Castle in Lincolnshire to Inverara Castle in Western Scotland. At each property, a younger generation is making its mark with necessary improvements, up-to-date infrastructures, and fresh ideas, such as developing on-site businesses that are intended to keep the family homes preserved and productive for years to come. Long live the British country house. I hope you enjoy the show. One thing I wanted to point out is that I, I think what's sort of ironic about the book, as Clive, you've said previously, that looking at the book now compared with our all being sheltering at home, it seems like it was an unimaginable amount of freedom of, for yes. you, Dylan, driving around the country to 12 different houses. Yes, it feels almost like another age looking back on it now. And really difficult to believe there we were with these wonderful houses and fantastic gardens and walking around and all this space, these marvelous landscape parks. And it was wonderful. And so I feel rather nostalgic about it, although we didn't finish very long ago. But I also feel it's quite inspiring because these houses, the, the youngest one of them has been lived in for 300 years, and some of them have been lived in for hundreds and hundreds of years, 800, 900 years, and they've been through some very, very difficult times, uh, times which were really worse than the ones that we've been going through recently. Uh, the Black Death, Civil War, World Wars, terrible family tragedies and scandal, and yet they've come through. And so I think that's a nice thing to remember now, because these are symbols of endurance and symbols of hope. And I think that's that's something that the English country house has always been, not only to Britain, but to Anglomaniac fans in America. <laughs> the rock-solid virtues of the British country life, British country houses, these houses that, that you said have been lived in for so long. I mean, when we have grand houses in America, we're lucky if they're two generations. Yeah, yeah. Well, this, uh, all our houses have been lived in by the same families for at least 300 years, or nearly all of them for more than 500 years by the same families without ever, ever having been sold. So, I mean, that is an extraordinary thing. And we're very lucky in Britain that we have these country houses, which are intact. They have their families living there, and they have these great collections and the wonderful landscapes that surround them. So, so that's very good. But of course, there was a time when actually it didn't look as though they were all going to survive. In the well, when I started work in the 1970s, when I was working for Country Life, a lot were being demolished. What's incredible now, and this was one of the reasons that Dylan and I wanted to do this book, is that actually they're undergoing a, a wonderful resurgence. Well, that's the subtitle of the book, The Resurgence of the British Country House, because there is, there's a young generation, they're full of young children, and they're full of people who've got great ideas for the future. So tell me about selecting how did you and dylan go about selecting 
this particular dozen houses? Yeah, there, there are a lot to choose from, and there could certainly be <laughs> several series of this of this book. But we took the advice of the Historic Houses Association. Uh, James Birch, who lives at uh, Doddington Hall, he's one of the houses that we have featured, and we wanted to get a spread of houses around the country, a geographical spread, and we wanted to get houses different types, and we wanted to get different house, uh, houses where people were doing, had different challenges and were doing different things. And mm -hmm. that actually wasn't very difficult because each of these houses is different. They all have different particular, if they're in different parts of the country, then they'll be visited by different people or they'll have different opportunities. Mm -hmm. uh, so all the different houses are taking advantage of what they've got, but each, each one is very different. And that's what we wanted to, to find in this, these dozen houses. Each one is a contrast, we feel. So everything from Lowesley Park to Inverare, um, yes. you've, you've got this great geographic sweep. What about the families beside choosing the houses? Was, was there a criterion that you were looking well, for in terms we, of inhabitants? <laughs> we, we wanted people who had lived there for a very, very long, whose families had lived there right. for a very long time. And that, that was really what it is. We, we didn't necessarily know the individual circumstances of all the owners before we went there. But what was fantastic was that we got a tremendous privileged view of these houses because all the owners who were private people living in these houses were very open with us and invited us into their homes. They were extremely generous and hospitable and, uh, you know, really told us everything. What do you think sold them on this, this kind of publicity? I don't think everybody particularly wants publicity. Some, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> they were very tolerant of these uh, two guys who turned up. I think it was the fact that it was an upbeat idea. I think that appealed to them. Of course, it might be that there's a certain competition in the country house only mm -hmm. world that you want to, uh, you know, even if you don't need to attract great numbers of the public, you probably want to have a good standing within your own peers, so to speak. Uh, so that might have been another thing. But I think they like the idea that these aren't fuddy-duddy places, that these are places mm -hmm. where something is happening. I hope that sold it, sold it to them. I mean, all, a lot of these houses, it was quite striking. We hadn't necessarily quite realized when we set off, but um, in a lot of cases, the fact these, this generation hasn't been there for very long. So they're doing strikingly different things. And each has got a different sort of issue that it has to cope with. A lot of them have to cope with uh, the issue of when they're going to take over from the next generation mm -hmm. or when they're going to hand over to the next generation and how are they going to do it? Are they going to have primogeniture? Is it going to be the oldest son? Which is what always used to happen. It still does sometimes. Right. At least it's a rule. You know, if you stick by the rule, you don't have to have a discussion. But of course, these days, eldest son. I mean, why eldest? Why, why son? <laughs> so um, if they have a number of children, that uh, can raise quite a question. And also, so much of what I've, uh, in reading the book, that comes across very, very strongly is they're living in these houses, these very historic houses that, not, that are not only rooted, but um, are, are emblematic of the parade of British design 
British artistic history, British architectural history, but they're living in it, in these houses in a way that their parents wouldn't necessarily recognize, that their grandparents certainly wouldn't, but that yes. even a hundred years ago, it, the, you're, you're talking about families that, that, that would have had, say, a London house and then the country house. And here you've yes. got the country house. This is our world yeah. now and we have to make it well, work. Yes, that's entirely true. It used to be that, as you said, people had London houses, they had country houses. But unlike in France, where everybody chose to give up their country house, because if you had to face a choice, French people want to stay in Paris. In Britain, the reverse happened, and everybody has given up their London house. I mean, they might have a flat, you know, but right. these great London palaces were all demolished uh, between between the wars. Mm. They have to make it work. And I can't remember really your question now. No, was, <laughs> when, when you were starting out in the 1970s, was yeah. there a different, uh, well, you, were, you, you had mentioned before that things, houses were being demolished. Oh, yes. But were, yes, yes. were, were, the, were the problems that people were having to address in the 1970s as owners of country houses the same as what the subjects of old homes, new lives are also having to address? How, how different are they? Oh, well, I think it's quite different now. I mean, you, you asked the question about uh, how life had changed in comparison to 100 years ago. And I mean, it's changed enormously, not least because, in fact, I was talking to somebody who grew up in one of these houses uh, that we wrote about, not living there now, but she was describing the number of servants that there were, even during the Second World War. There was, if you read the memoirs of old diaries of Jim Lee's mill. Mm -hmm. Every which house are he terrific went to, diaries. Which are terrific, terrific. They're, they're, they're uh, fantastic. But these houses, which were really falling down, and, you know, nobody quite knows what sort of future they had, they still had, you know, at least four servants. I mean, <laughs> by modern standards, that's, uh, that's quite a lot. And, you know, life, life was unimaginable without people to help. And, mm -hmm. and the cost of labor was very cheap. Well, that's all different now. But on the other hand, people... Well, I suppose it's incredible really, that they, they, they still are able to find ways of living in these houses, but they live in them in a different way. And so that's, uh, you know, it's really wonderful. It's wonderful that they're able to do that. But the challenges are, are quite different, really, because particularly, I mean, in the Second World War and afterwards, you know, Britain was completely on its knees. Taxation was very, very high after the Second World War. And... These houses were perhaps not very highly regarded. People had just always had them. People weren't always very interested in the art that was in them. And mm. it's just in a terrible, terrible state. Since then, there's been an absolute revival, which started really in the 1980s. The 1970s were terrible, but the 1980s, things started to uh, look up again. And now there is this much more... Uh, a more positive mood. It's not considered odd to want to live in one of these houses anymore. That, that was one of the comments that one of the owners made. You know, a generation ago, it would have been very strange to want to, uh, for somebody to say he wanted to take on one of these houses and, and live in it. Not only that, but I think also it would have been unusual for the average owner 25, 30 years ago to be so candid as to say, this is a business. How do uh, we make it well, work? Well, yes. Yes. You know, how do we make, it, it's not just this romantic ideal. 
I need to have gift shop, tea room. How do I get tourists in? How do how do we make this a going concern? Since it's since the agricultural aspect that was driving it 150 years ago does not exist in the same way. No, that's totally true. Everybody has to make it work in some way. Uh, Those one house which. Uh, had been supported from an outside fortune until recently, but uh, you know, no fortune is big enough now to uh, support one of these places. So every, every, everyone, every one of these houses has got to work to some degree. They're all a bit different. For example, if you're Lowesley and you're near London, then property is very important. It's more difficult to have shooting, which is helpful for some estates. So near London, that doesn't really work because people don't like it. But Weddings have been an enormous source of income. Uh, sometimes they could rather take over, not in the case of any of, any of the ones that we've been writing about. But uh, of course, you know, there's still some people who are very successful and who go and work in, in whatever industry they do. It used to be typically right. the city, but now it's likely to be more software or whatever it might be. Uh, and they can make enough money to, to, to keep these things going without, without actually having to open the house so much. But everybody has to do something to make to make the house work and it's, it's all in every case it's very different and geography as i said plays quite a big part because the further away you are from london the less well the less money there is in the local economy dylan in terms of photographing the houses what was the discussions that you and clive were having about how did you want to present these houses some of which have been photographed a great deal and some have no sort of cultural reference to a lot of people, visual reference. What was the story you wanted to tell from the photographs? Well, th- thank you, Mitch. Um, they, what Clive and I did, what, which I think was sort of slightly unique, was we actually went and visited each house before, met the owners, had lunch, had a drink, and walked around the properties. And then it was very much going with those fresh eyes and not sort of looking at past imagery of these houses and actually mm-hmm. coming at it with this sort of new approach. And that new approach was very much not, not a guidebook. So it wasn't a sense of sort of going on a travel holiday, picking up a guidebook and following a, a typical course. It was looking at it in the light that these homes were actually being lived in and how they were being lived in and how as a family they interacted with them. And all these houses bar a few, you know, they, they were young families. They weren't the generation where, the said parent had deceased and it was inherited in their sort of 60s, 70s. They Mm. they were young, they they had been passed down. And that meant that these houses had young families and young children. And as a photographer, it was a fascinating and privilege to go in and sort of have that sort of raw documentary freedom. And at the same time, being respectful of the building as a Mm. interiors photographer, but being able to capture the sort of the life and soul, hopefully, of, of these homes. I mean, it is wonderful to be able to go from chapter to chapter and see so many children. Again, living in a way that they wouldn't have a hundred years ago, you know, where they wouldn't even have been allowed in those rooms. It was interesting that that these families embraced children. And yes, that's that's, that's absolutely true. It's a big change. I loved uh, in Verrera, where Lady Charlotte, uh, who's a little girl of about... And this uh, is the house of the, (laughs) the, the, uh, the Argyles. That's right, yes. the Duke, the Duke of, Argyle. of Argyle. Uh, fantastic a castle. Well, an 18th century castle, but it's a huge, great big house. And I said to her, 
what do you like about living in a castle? What's a good thing about living in a castle? And she said, well, I suppose it's very nice to be able to ride my Segway around. <laughs> that was <just> so big. <laughs> and uh, Charlotte um, was unique in that I didn't go with an assistant. So it was, I spent two, three days in each house and sort of had that, that access. And Charlotte was my assistant and she was fantastic. She bounced the lighter. She's nine. Uh, <laughs> he bounced the light around the room. She told her brother what he had to wear and what he wasn't allowed to wear. You know, she, she bossed us all around. <laughs> but it was wonderful. It was, it was fantastic having this little apprentice so keen and eager to understand why I was stacking up a stack of coins under lamps to straighten them. And, you know, she, to her, this was just like, this was magic. <laughs> And I, I, I think what's lovely, too, was being able to see, let's just say Charlotte, for an aspect, to see the house through her eyes. I mean, what is she, how is she interacting with yeah. this space where generation upon generation upon generation of her family has lived, but she's a nine-year-old. So yeah. therefore, it's like, you know, living, not, not only is it something she's used to, but there's also sort of a, a storybook aspect to, you know, it was funny. I remember having an interview, you know, years ago to go back to something you said earlier, Clive, about um, people living in the houses and often really not paying much attention to what was in them. Um, yes. It's just it always been there. Talking once with the, with the, the Duke of Devonshire and, yeah. and him saying, I was, I was in my 20s before I knew who Capability Brown was. And he did the lawns. <laughs> I mean, it was very, very funny. It's like, he said, it had always been there, so we'd never asked about it. No, no, of course. Yeah, isn't that amazing? And so to be able to have someone like you come in, who's interested, <laughs> well, as, as we all are in sort of a design world, we're interested in the, in the things. Whereas what's lovely about these houses is the life lived within them so that it makes them less distant. Yes. You know, yes. They, they all have, everybody has cash flow problems. Everyone has to learn how to make the house yeah. work. Everyone has children. Oh my God, a Segway is going down the hall. <laughs> yes. You know, everybody, it, it, it puts a reality on these houses that we sort of look upon as stage sets in a lot of ways. Yes. Yes. Well, I suppose they were stage sets, even when they were built, but... But the reality is you have to look after them and get on with it. And uh, one of the things about Iberera is that, uh, as you'll know, there's, in the centre of the house, there's this enormous hall, goes up 90 feet. And on the walls are these great displays of arms and armour and muskets and swords and decorative displays. Anyway, it's a hugely big hall. Sometimes they have to <laughs> paint it, which is not something they want to do very often. The last time they did it, which was a few years ago, they took down all these arms and armor and the whole family, everybody who worked in the house, everybody, all their neighbors, everybody came around and they had a great big armor cleaning station where people would <laughs> come along. <laughs> if you had a spare half an hour, you cleaned a sword or something. And uh, the Duchess said that uh, one of the great things of doing it was that there was an armor specialist who came and told them about this arms and armor, which they'd ha hanged on the wall as a kind of decoration. And they'd never, as you were saying, particularly thought about it very much. And he knew what all these things were. And he identified a sword, which was a particular sword 
I've now slightly forgotten the name of the man who wielded it, but it was something like Big Douglas uh, Campbell or something, because he was a giant and he, <laughs> <laughs> he wielded a sword. And he was famous for having cut a soldier in half at the Battle of Preston Pans. And she said, oh, he identified the sword because there was a great big chunk missing from it in the middle where, oh. <laughs> where this deed, I know it's a bit grim, I'm sorry. <laughs> where it went through. <laughs> where it went through. So, um, <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. Well, that's 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 like the the entrenching tool in Nancy. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it is, you know, really fascinating. You were talking, uh, you know, you've got twelve amazing houses. Was was what was the surprise, either as as a photographer or as a writer, that 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 sort of shocked you or made you newly appreciate a house that, house that you thought you already knew? Well, Dylan, you should talk about this because you were there for days and days and you had the complete run of the house and discovered all sorts of things <laughs> I, I got to stay in quite a few of the houses excellent but, that's all <laughs> uh, you know i must say that um some of the rooms were s slightly bigger than my own and um you know i felt very welcome but uh, the only difference was that um yeah the room sizes were considerably bigger <laughs> and that, and to fill up a bath one night did take you know what I felt was an obscene amount of water but I, I was told I had to have a bath and I had to have this special green gunk and you know just the, the conversations with these families they were so open and honest and it was such a privilege to have that insight into the workings of these homes that you you do see from the outside and they are some of them open to the public and just sort of understanding the nuances and the respect that they've had for their future or, or the, the past generations. So these houses aren't being knocked down and, and redecorated. They, they respect those wings and at the same time, they're looking at changing something in the, where the servants' quarters were and making mm. that their home because that's the ground floor and that's where, that's where the families of today need to be lived and, and have access to. And it was just fascinating seeing that, that tremendous respect for what mum and dad have done and what mm. their parents, grand, great parent, grandparents have done. And also the respect or understanding that it doesn't all have to be done. The attic can be left for the next generation. Right. But I did, I did find the sort of the whole, you know, boy, girl inheritance and how that sort of the importance also of how it can't be split up. And these are such fragile financial models or some of them that they really can't be tampered with. Otherwise, potentially the whole house implodes if, if they sort of have to split off the land and what. Right. what. But the actual photography was, was incredibly exciting. What were you looking for photographically to tell your visual story? Were you yeah. as interested in going behind the scenes as you were uh, the staterooms? Yeah, so I, th I think that every house in terms, you know, it was a wonderful project to edit, you know, that I had so much material and that editing process was was challenging. You know, I, I shared the project with um, a former editor of Vogue, Mike Tro, Petrosa, and he, he said, Dylan, you know, this isn't a project for me to edit, this is a project for you to edit because you want to tell the story that you shot. And he is right, and he was right, and it is important that that story was our story that Clive and I sort of discussed. Mm -hmm. And these, these houses needed to be shown in a light that showed rooms that wasn't necessarily open to the public and actually showed what it was like behind closed doors. At the same time, these houses aren't so closed that you can't see that space, but I was very fortunate and able to have that access to photograph 
private sitting rooms at the same time mm. the importance of the state room and what how those houses were lived in and how and where those people would have traditionally lived and how they are living now so hope to in uh, scotland as an example you know sky and andrew have this wonderful wonderful house they have they've they have a wonderful big family and they've split it off and at the same time christmas comes and the whole house is open and they have their dinner on the you know it's, it's very much these houses are very much alive throughout the year when birthdays and and it's lovely seeing that sort of that mm. those houses and that, they were the conversations that i had with the homeowners in the evenings and when i when i stopped because they were the stories that i needed to try and tell through the imagery Dylan mentioned Hope Tune, and I was just going to say that what I loved about Hope Tune was that every no, owner no, has... No, no, tell us a bit about Hope Tune first. It's in oh. Scotland. Yes, uh, Hope Tune is just outside Edinburgh, and it was um, built in the... Uh, originally, there was a block built about um, 1700 for a young man, which was commissioned... He was so young that it was commissioned by his mother. And then, in about 1740, he <laughs> he wanted something even bigger. And he employed William Adam, who was the father of Robert Adam, um, to make a great big uh, Palladian house out of it. And uh, it's, uh, it's really wonderful. It's in a position which is overlooking the Firth of Force. And uh, the family were originally lawyers, so it's close to Edinburgh. It's, it, it was um, convenient, but very grand and splendid, and it's very large. But the uh, wonderful uh, Sky, whom Dylan mentioned, uh, Lady Hopetoon, each family wants to do something different. You know, they have a different, I mean, they have a different attitude, a different idea of what they're going to do. And mm -hmm. what she wanted to do was to create the new kitchen and everything, so it was up to date, but she was very, very keen that nobody knew that it was new. She, she wanted to look like a kitchen from the 1970s, practically, uh, because uh, she didn't want to feel she'd come in and done something brash that was going to upset the house, and so uh, upset the balance of the house. So she's very pleased if people come in now that she's just made this uh, new kitchen, and they say, well, when are you going to start on making your new kitchen? <laughs> <laughs> when are you going to renovate this space? Yeah, that's right, that's right. And it's such but, uh, a wonderful kitchen. <laughs> it's, oh, it's a wonderful kitchen, it's lovely, and very warm, and, and it's, it's um, with her family and everything, it's, it's fantastic. But, you know, her idea is that she doesn't want it to be anything anything too new, which is going to upset the, the, the historic character of the house. And she also has a wonderful walled garden there. And th this is something which is, I noticed in a number of houses that, of course, they, like everybody else, you know, they, they want to be environmental and they're conscious of these estates that have been in their houses for, in their family's hands for a long time. And they want to hand them on in good condition. And that these days means getting the land right and making it grow wonderful, healthy things. And I think that's a, uh, a strand for the future, that they're thinking about the land and the estate and the benefit it can give, the wellness that it can provide, as well as, well as just the houses. Which also or, or, opens the door to things like cafes and tea oh, rooms. Yes. And oh, yes, yes, totally. Being yes, that's able true. To so that you have a garden as an engine, as it would have been ages ago, but now for a very specific money-making yes. purpose, uh, yes. a more modern purpose. Yes, of course, there were some historic landowners who were extremely extravagant. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you know, these things were set up 
out of money that people had, been, had, had made and to keep themselves going through making money. You know, they, they, I mean, these houses were the centers of estates that made money. And I, I, they, they wouldn't have been set up if the people who build them didn't see a long-term future. The sustainability was going to come through all their agricultural estates. Well, nowadays, mm -hmm. and, and then in the Victorian period, these great big estates found coal something on them and they were able to make money from a different thing but they've always had to work for their living in one way or another I think. And I think one of the things that is very interesting in, in reading not only your and Dylan's book but when you look at the history of the British country house the thing that brings it down to earth is for a lot of people I think should is their their farms Yes. At the end of the day, they're farms and they're family <laughs> yeah. farms. And once you sort of get beyond the fact that there's an impressive house at the middle yes. of it, once you realize it's a farm, it becomes much more of a reality-based experience. I mean, it's something people can understand in a, yes. in a better way than an Edwardian house party. Once you yes, put it in the context yes. of farms. I mean, I think that the... Uh, wonderful capability brown landscapes and so on were actually showing the best farming practices you know they, 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 they were I mean, they just had wonderful farms attached to them uh, with cattle and with uh, sheep and uh, those you know they relied on draining the land it was making a lot of discussion in the 18th century was about how to improve and they meant how to improve to make it look better but they also meant how to improve not have these sandy heaths which didn't grow very much how to actually take more money out of your estate and that was thought right. to be a very good thing <laughs> and then you could spend it on fabulous decoration and also and planting forests that will supply yes. timber that would i mean yeah. they're, they're not just beautiful forests they're no, no. they're meant to be harvested they were assets yes that's exactly right so clive when did you and i want to ask dylan the same thing clive when did you find yourself falling in love with historic architecture in Britain? Was, was that something that was always part of your life from childhood on? Yes, I, I suppose it was really, thinking back uh, all those years. The thing is, I grew up in the uh, 60s and 70s, and which was a great time. But uh, it wasn't a particularly great time in terms of architecture, at least in Britain. And certainly in the 70s, it was absolutely, that's when I started work, it was an absolutely disastrous time, which was a very ugly time. And I don't know, I think that I, uh, even as a child, when I perhaps wasn't aware of those things so much, I think I, I always had a, um, a, a, a romantic feeling. I, I preferred, I just preferred things which were, which were old. <laughs> that's what I liked. <laughs> I was a strange child. <laughs> for me, it was always, and it may have been the same thing for you and for Dylan, an old thing has stories. An oh, old the thing stories. is freighted with That's absolutely true. things to talk about, things to learn. Yeah. I mean, a side table is a novel. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I love the stories. I, I'm a terrible bore at dinner parties. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there are so many stories. That's why you're always invited back, Clive. <laughs> Maybe not true. Dylan, what about you? Has, have, have, what has your subject matter been 
it, in terms of, has it always been historic interiors that have drawn you? No, I, I sort of had a very fortunate um, introduction into photography. And I think that's probably where we should start in that I was Lord Snowden's assistant for a number of years. And that sort of really cemented what you're talking about there is, you know, that, that, that story associated with objects and how it's such a, an incredible insight when you allow yourself to actually study that. And as a photographer, I was fortunate that I can study that both in, in people and mm. in the actual interiors. And in terms of the old world, new world, in, in terms of the modern, you know, I, I love how these homes have these stories, but at the same time, the new generation are thinking, you know, what great new interior designer can we entrust this new wave of, of um, interior style? And that sort of then mm. becomes this sort of layers and layers and layers of wallpaper that, you know, throughout this book, you, I'm, I was constantly seeing all these old wallpapers from Macintosh, you know, it was, it was just an incredible insight. And that was those layers. And that's what I think I'm fascinated by is about these, these layers upon layers upon layers that um, people bringing houses. in yeah. their taste and their interest and somehow grafting it yeah. onto what was already there. Precisely. And how that's going to be passed. And, and I think that that's, you know, as a photographer that you've got so much to work with, you know, part, part of your um, series on open door, you know, that that's a wonderful insight. And, you know, in many ways, this book is a, a glimpse at that sort of how video and film and the still image works together and how you can have that insight with a still camera as well as you can with a video mm -hmm. camera but the video camera the sound isn't cut off you know it, it's rolling constantly and I had that constant access as a still photographer and at the same time I as a project I needed to tell the families both as a testament to their ancestors. So I, I needed to do a formal portrait. I needed to capture that formal side that was respecting the family name that I knew that would sit on the piano or on a mm. sideboard that would probably stay there for a long time. And that was something that I, I wanted to do. And that's something that I was fortunate that I could do. At the same time, I didn't want these houses to feel so old and stuffy and staged and tight. I wanted them to be feel loose and free and yeah, progressive. They're very progressive houses and, and seeing that sort of that energy on first hand was, was, a, was wonderful. So will, will Triglyph be putting more of the content that didn't make it into the book online? I'm sure that archive will be <laughs> uh, cherished and not, um, <laughs> <laughs> not not exploited, but maybe one could be excited. <laughs> excited, but not exploited. I think that's. Uh, I, I I think that why I love houses is that you can read the people, the read the um, the things that people wanted to do, the way they wanted to live. That's that's embedded in in a in a house. I think, and that's I think what I really really enjoy about them. You see the, the the rooms that they wanted, the way they wanted to project themselves in terms of their taste. You had changing generations. Sometimes people were very clever and they, they, they managed to make some money or money came into the family somehow. And then somebody else who had no interest in architecture went off and spent it all on the race course or whatever it might be. And also the, the architects and the people who made the tapes and made the things, the craftsmen, mm -hmm. 
it's a uh, it's a dialogue between all these different people which you can see in the seemingly unmoving space of the house clive aslett dylan thomas thank you very much for coming <laughs> on to the podcast to talk about old homes new lives thank you so much thank you very much much appreciated The ADS Theatre is produced and edited by Diane Dragon and Emma Wartsman. Music by Circus Marcus. All rights reserved by Condé Nast. To reach us about this episode or any other episodes, find us on social media at ArcDigest or email us at letters at arcdigest.com. <laughs>